The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. All right, guys, welcome to Tuesday Morning Coffee. Brad here. Appreciate y'all being with us. I got my main man, Tony. Hey, hey, hey. The first thing that I want to say is that I appreciate all of the the cards, the texts, the emails. Uh, had a couple of carrier pigeons here from That's New York right. that came in that were concerned. Yeah, that were concerned that I've been gone for a couple of weeks. That's right. And so uh, in the past two weeks, we have saved the rainforest and we've solved global warming. Love, love, love. And then I also went on a beach trip with my family for my birthday. Yeah, which is global warming. Yeah, correct. So, <laughs> so one of those three is correct. And you can ascertain which, which of those three is correct. But I uh, appreciate y'all being with us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about inheritance situations. We're moving forward in the series of the Big Five Motivators and really figuring out where most of our transactions come from the anomalies and the nuances between the big five, uh, comparing and contrasting motivations and figuring out how we can best navigate these kinds of situations so that we can buy more houses and, and really serve people in a better way. Okay. Before we get to that, I want to go over really two deals of the day. One of them's mine. One of them's Tony's. Uh, for me, uh, Tasha sent me a, uh, a text message on my birthday and said, what are you doing for, for your birthday? And I said, well, I'm going to buy a house. That's right. And so, and you were at the beach, right? Yeah, we were at the beach, and James was down there <laughs> with us. James does most of our purchasing. And so, about four o'clock, we didn't have a house yet. I'm like, James, where's the house? You know, he said, Well, I'm working on some things, just, just hang in there. And so, ended up, we bought a house. I, I say house, maybe I didn't buy a house. I actually bought a, a single wide that had been added onto. So, I bought a dwelling. It's not really a house. Yeah. But, uh, well, house, single wide, we buy equity. Doesn't really matter, does it? No. What matters is the deal. Not. So uh, bought it for 38K. I believe it's 5K down and payments per month at 0%. Mm. So it's principal only payments on the 38. And then we're going to sell it under finance for probably 110, 120, something okay. like that. So we have ballpark a 70K equity position in that in paper and note. <coughs> and uh, it'll be a, a nice little, a great cash flow deal. In a note that um, in six or seven years, whenever that seller is paid off, I've got a free and clear note, just like yeah. a bank would have. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have really no money in it because whatever our, our down payment is to our seller, we'll get back whenever we own or finance it. So, and th this is the kind of deal that, that I would do That's right. you know, from 2010 to 2014. That's right. 100% is what I did was creating notes. Uh -huh. So uh, it's just kind of like homecoming. On my birthday, we're doing another That is deal. fun. There's, I like them so much. So that, that's a nice little segue. Tell me, tell everybody about what you got. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would have kind of been cool if your deal of the day had been the purchase of this small cabin out in Holiday, Tennessee, which you later sold to a workmate, you know, and, and hopefully made just a little bit. And then I'd tell the second half of it, which is I bought this house from this guy. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of a weird deal. Uh, Brad bought a house. It's a cabin right on the Tennessee River. About an hour and 20 minutes west of um, 
Nashville mm-hmm. off of I-40. And I think he paid 35000 for it. I think so. And uh, a gentleman wanted to sell it. He actually built the house by himself from scratch. He's a just a phenomenal craftsman. Great guy. It was done well. I mean, most of the time, whenever we see something, it's like, oh, I, I did it all myself. We're thinking, oh, Lord. Uh-huh, uh-huh. but this was done well. But it was sketchy, you know, its location. Yeah. It's in a community that's not very, you know, it's, it was going to hold down the values on the resale. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I wound up buying that house from Brad and and out of his kindness and the last five birthdays of mine, which he didn't get any shit. <laughs> he sold me the, hey, can we, can we clip out the, maybe? Okay. Anyway, he sold me that house. For nothing, just whatever he had in it. I just gave it to him. I, just I, I, I lost 35K. That's no. free house. No, I gave I it to him at cost. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he'd had holding costs in it. So I actually paid 50 for it. So I went to my uh, one of my lenders and I got 50 grand, paid Brad off. And so I was in it for that. Put it on the market for 119, didn't touch it, 119.9. And um, had an offer for 105. And I said, I'll, I'll take it, but I'm not touching anything. And so they went ahead and had an inspection done on it, did find a couple of things that I was going to have to address uh, down the road because an appraiser would have picked it up as well. And so wound up not wanting to address those things. In the meantime, the gentleman that you originally bought the house from, he also owned a lot right across the street and had gone across the street and is halfway through building a small house there, a mm-hmm. tiny house there. Okay. He calls me and says, would you would you sell the house back to me? And I said, hey, I can't do that. To I mean, I can't do that. I've got to make some money off of it. He said, oh, I, I'm fine with you making money off of it. Could you owner finance the house to me? And this guy's got some money. He has some automatic money coming in every month from pensions and a retirement and some disability, that kind of stuff. So pretty safe note. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wound up taking it off the market. I sold it to him for the one nineteen nine. I took his lot across the street in the tiny house that is about halfway finished as a $20,000 down payment. And I have a $100,000 note. I moved the 50 that I had borrowed over to another property I have that's got a lot of equity in it. Yeah, that's so retailing out. That's retailing out. Yeah. So freed that up and now I've got a hundred thousand dollar note at nine point nine percent interest for the next thirty years, and it is going to be a great long term note for me. Perfect. Yeah, that, that's really nice. So, and the second wrinkle to this is how much is it going to take you to finish that other lot? Okay, so that lot actually is twice the size of the lot across the street that he just bought, and so I'm going to cut that lot in half into two lots. And then I may or may not leave that tiny house on it. Okay. I may move that to a nicer area because it's going to be easy to move right now. But I can owner finance both of those lots now for probably $35,000, $40,000 Okay. So I'll pick up another seventy, dollars you know, $75,000 in um, um, a couple of notes there too. Yeah, so... Yeah. Total will create roughly a hundred and twenty thousand in equity on this deal. Yeah, that is in a small town, not a, a super 
interesting property, right? But the numbers worked, and you saw the ability to be creative with this person, right? And accept property as a down payment. And guys, like we've had that happen. We've had people give us free and clear properties before as a down payment, right? And those are some of our better deals. Like, yes, that's how we ended up with a deal in Michigan. <coughs> you know, was it? Oh, Manton, Manton, Michigan. Yeah, that's right. And had a squatter in there. <laughs> that, was a, that was a whole other situation. But uh, really, really nice stuff, man. Really yeah. Good. I mean, you just have to be open. I've learned. I mean, I learned all this in our program. Yeah. I mean, it's then it wasn't a program. It was just. Yeah. You, you just, really were the first apprentice. Yeah. Just way. you showing me how to, how to do some of this stuff, you know, and watching you kind of. And and David, yeah. the creativity that David Alexander Correct. has is through the roof, you know, and he's just like, well, why don't you do this and this? And I don't get it when he's saying it at our masterminds at first. Right. But then, you know, I try to draw it out on a piece of paper and then you go, man, that is genius. It really is. And I will say it's it's easier to create a, nor- a note portfolio than what people really imagine. So I think that people think, oh, man, like. I think the biggest misconception about what we do creating notes is that you have to have money to create a note. Right. Like, oh, I've got a hundred K cash. I'm going to trade that for a hundred K note. Right. That's the dumbest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And that still works mm-hmm. because bank of America and Wells Fargo and all these companies, they're happy to trade that cash for that note because mm-hmm. they know that the interest is coming and you yeah. can't outrun the interest. Yeah. So basically I, I got the lot across the street for free. Yeah. Basically. And so I cut it into two lots and I've got the one here and those I'm at zero in right on when I start. And I, I'm going to wind up with three notes there for a, yeah, about $170,000 in note at 9.9% interest. But when you think about that long term, what that does, it is phenomenal what that spins off. And I, I guess the one thing on that that I want to say to younger investors who tend to at the time not all the way, all time, all the, uh, not all the time, but tend to sometimes only think about what they can get a chunk of cash for immediately to make some type of purchase. And this is the, I mean, where else are you going to get 9.9% on an investment you have long term? Fixed, secured by undervalued real estate. Yes. So you need to start stacking these up and you won't, you won't have to worry about retirement down the road. Yeah. You're going to be set as these spin off cash for you. You know, it, that that's an interesting thought. I remember specifically maybe four or five years ago that I, I realized that my retirement's taken care of, that it wasn't a concern for me to how am I going to retire? It's like, that's set. The notes are there. Some of them are paying down to where they're going to be free and clear by that point. And, you know, we've got a handful of rentals and that kind of thing. It's like, okay, we just have to get there. You know, the first, I bet you the first uh, five years I worked for you, I bet you we 65 to 70% of the deals we did were all yeah. notes. Owner finance. Yeah. <clears throat> and the only reason we came out of that was because values went so high. Right. That you could capture more with your, we still bought the same. Yeah. It's just that values went so high, we could capture more quicker. But, you know, people are concerned about, you know, the interest rates going up and what's going to happen to values. And that really doesn't affect us at all because, uh, what we do that makes this work is how we buy. It's not how what the market's saying it's going to sell yeah. like. I think overall it would be a a big benefit to us to go back into a 2010, 11, 12 mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. our ability to buy goes up. We can buy creatively. We know exactly what that looks like, and then we can hold more assets. Like, mm-hmm. make no mistake, guys. Like, it's not the cash pops that retire you. 
the cash pops are important. I believe in a holistic system. Like we don't want to create a business that only does one thing. We don't want to only owner finance. We right. don't want to only flip and go retail. We don't want to only do rentals, but it's kind of like, I guess we're kind of like the CrossFit of real estate. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't want to be just a good runner. We don't want to be just a good swimmer. Like we want to be good at everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And because of that, you have a holistic system and thought process that creates more equity all the way around. Because if you're creating cash pops through retail deals, you can increase your ad budget. And then if you increase your ad budget, you have more leads to create owner finance deals. And if you have more stability in the business because of owner finance deals, you can be a little bit more risky in terms of what you're willing to take down to go retail because Mm -hmm. your base is solid. Mm -hmm. So the the whole system, it it all feeds into one another. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't believe in doing just one despite the other. Right. Right. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I am going to try the CrossFit thing on Kara when I get home. Honey, Brad said today that I am the CrossFit of, of real estate, and which I don't think she's going to think I look any better. Well, you got compared to Jason Momoa. I think that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was real dark in the room. It's not, <laughs> it's not a lot of light when the lady said that. Now, who is that guy anyway? I don't keep up with these things. Oh, he's Aquaman, right? Yeah, he's Aquaman. Christine over here acting like she does. Yeah, yeah. He's he's my height, and that's about where it ends. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm not your height, so what the hell do I have? (laughs) Well, this guy's supposedly one of the most beautiful men men on the planet, and I I'm down in the 30s on that ranking. So I don't know if I'd want to be beautiful. I I think I'd stick with handsome. Handsome. Yeah. Call it what you want to. I don't care. Run on. Cool. All right. We've gone way off in left field. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, we're going to be talking about. (laughs) inheritance situations okay all right oh man you know before we started here we talked about how we're gonna have to start putting some baileys in the coffee i don't know know if miss christina or tasha hasn't put something in i know it in here over over yeah it's the wrong b word yeah bourbon in mine i think something all right cool we're gonna be talking about inheritance situations so let's go through the emotions that really correspond with inheritance okay and what I want to submit to you is that there's two main emotions that are uh, involved in inheritance situations. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because they're predicated specifically on like, what was the relationship like when the person passed? Yeah. Okay. Because if you have a really, really close relationship, <laughs> undoubtedly the emotion is grief. But a lot of times what we see, the emotion is a different G word called greed. Yeah. So we're not in a position where you have someone that's really emotional about the situation outside of getting as much as they can. And I remember, um, you know, I used to work for a builder developer in, in college selling his new construction. And I remember specifically, he told me one time about how when his grandfather passed away, they all thought that there was money in the house. And so the family goes to the house, they have a reading of the will inside the house and People were disappointed that there wasn't like cash that were was being was given, hidden, you know. And so somebody <laughs> said, you know, I've always thought that he had a hiding place here. And they all run to one side of the house and they're looking. Oh my! And God. then somebody said, well, I had an idea about this room over here, and then they're all running over to that room. And it's it's like cockroaches running all uh, over the house, you uh, know, uh, trying to find a dollar bill, and it's really terrible. But we've run into to both, I would say, in our situation, but. In, in our career, but I think that we've dealt with more grief than we have grief. Yeah, I'd say so. A lot of sadness, you know, I mean, when someone, and, and now 
uh, it's not like it was uh, 50 years ago when everybody, most people would be born and raised and live and die in the same community. Right. So people spread out now and they're somewhere else. So they're away from their loved one. And, and so there's not only grief and sadness, but then there's like guilt because they weren't close to them. I mean, I lived two and a half hours with my mother, you know, and it's a regular routine to go visit, you know, but it's not like if you live close and you could go over in the afternoon and see them, that kind of thing. You know? Right. So yeah, grief, sadness, guilt, lots of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> what the house means to the person that uh, is dealing with an inheritance situation. And keep in mind that whenever you have lead flow coming in from an inheritance, it could be any of the heirs. It could be an heir's spouse. It could be the actual executor that mm -hmm. you're dealing with in a probate situation. We'll talk about probate in just a minute. And I guess I'll talk about this in terms of like what I dealt with, mm -hmm. you know, so I was raised by my grandparents. My papa passed when I was 14 and my grandmother passed, I guess it's been five years. Now. Mm -hmm. And me and my grandmother were just like super, super close, okay. super close. She, she was an amazing lady. The first time she met Tony, what did she, she say? She, she looked up in the air because she was a little bitty lady. She looked up there and she said, well, hello, big fella. <laughs> <laughs> She was so sweet. Yeah. But uh, so she she passed. And and I was really lucky that she didn't have a, a really tough passing. You uh -huh. know, from the time uh, she fell May 1st, we took her to the hospital. She was in the hospital for a while. Her potassium was really low. And I thought that that was like a really strange thing. But mm -hmm. apparently that's like a big, big deal, mm -hmm. you know. So she was in intensive care for a while and got out of intensive care. Uh, we, we put her into a rehab facility because she had to learn how to, to right. do some walking and mm -hmm. do some rehab stuff. And she fell and broke her hip there. Yeah. And that was, that, I remember um, that was on my birthday five years ago because right. I got the call and she passed a couple weeks later. Yeah. And whenever she fell May 1st, I knew she was sick, but I had no idea that what was coming. You know, she was 80 at the time right. she passed when she was 84 but I never would have thought that it would happen that fast to someone that literally middle of April was out mowing the grass yeah yeah very active yeah very, strong, very active very tough, active tough lady yeah. yeah tough lady and so it happened really fast but the last three days I, I knew she was going to pass uh -huh. and so we we brought her from the rehab facility home yeah. because I promised her that I would do my best to get her home. Yeah, that's where she wanted to be. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we had a lot of family come over and everything. And uh, she passed. You know, we, we went through the, the funeral services and all that. Then we had the will, and I had inherited that house. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd grown up there. But then it's like, well, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, and I'm a real estate guy. Like, I'm not very emotional about property. And, you know, I'd grown up there and I had just so many great memories there. But then three days of, uh, of just a really tough time really overshadowed 30 years mm -hmm. of good times, mm -hmm. you know. But I'd grown up in that house from the time I was 18 months old. They'd, take, they'd taken me in until basically, you know, I got married, uh -huh. you know. So, so I had a few options. I could sell the house. But then I thought, you know, I may want it back. That might be a wrong decision. You know, I don't want to make an emotional decision. And I said, well, I can rent it, but we've dealt with tenants all of our career. Yeah. Career. We weren't ready for other people to be walking around the house anyway. Well, that, and then, you know, these are my prized grandmother's cabinets. Yeah. 
you know, that literally she, she put on credit and had to pay off working nights. Right. You know, and there's a story about right, Now, just think about what you just said there. I mean, they're, they're just cabinets. Yeah, but correct. But then they, they're my grandmother's cabinets. Right. But then she bought them on credit. And, I mean, there's just stories behind stories behind stories. So. so I wasn't really ready for a tenant to go in and destroy the place because I knew that emotionally right. that would be tougher for me than probably selling it. Mm -hmm. But then holding it, it's like the worst thing for a house to just leave it vacant. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, yeah. but you'll have a house that can last two, 300 years, no problem if people are there. Mm -hmm. But you leave one vacant for five years, right. it just starts to fall in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know why that is like there, there's something to that, you know, but finally I did what we've had other people do. I sold it to an investor at a discount. And the reason that I did that is Stefan, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, me and Stefan, uh, Stefan's a great friend of Tony's. He's a builder and, um, we sold him some lots a few times, mm -hmm. you know, whenever we had land deals, <laughs> he's as honorable a man yeah. as I know. And I, I like the idea of it being, basically a friend that has this property, now, right. you know, and we also worked out that if I want it back, that he would sell it back to me. And so for me, it was having the ability to have that option in the future in case I decide, Hey, I really made a mistake there. Like I, I really want this house back. Made me feel a lot better moving forward that, and he, I knew that he would, would maintain it well and, and all of that. So that's what I decided to do. And I'm really happy with the decision. And, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll drive by there, and it's it's become a happy place again. Yeah, because I see people there. He's fixed it <laughs> up. He's done well with it. Yeah, he rehabbed it. Yeah, and so I I was okay with that decision. But I thought it was interesting that I became the person that we often buy from. Right. You know, and at this point, I have no idea how many hundreds and hundreds of houses we've done, but <laughs> to become the person that we buy from gave me a lot of insight into like really the, the value that we provide, uh -huh. you know, so I felt really good about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the house for me being, I mean, frankly, just heartbroken over this, mm -hmm. you know, and you remember mm -hmm. how tough it was for me, but, um, the, the house became something that I, I didn't know what to do with because I wanted to be a good steward of what I'd been given. But at the same time, it's, it seemed like there was no good option. Yeah. I mean, Graham would have had, she would, if she'd have thought through that part of it, she'd have written in the notes, I want this house sold within three months, 90 days. Cause she, she, she would wanted you to have whatever is going to come from it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all feel that way about you feel that way about your kids, Yeah, but they're not going to feel that way about you. It's going to, the home, the, whatever there is, it's going to have all these memories tied into it. Right. All these emotions. So, whether it's a house or something else, but specifically, uh, uh, that's the biggest thing that we have in life as we're growing up is this home we live in. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult. It was hard for you. It's the same way for a lot of these folks that yeah, we, we right. buy houses from. And so you basically, it's the exact same script. It's the exact same process, but with a little more patience and a little more empathy. Um, and now you're going to have some folks come along and like some of the ones we've had and, and there's no love loss. Yeah, that's right. Like Ricky Nutson was one. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let, let's talk about <coughs> some situations that we see with probate because we've run into some extremely tragic situations with probate 
the one that comes to mind for me, we had a lady call. She was an older lady. I mean, not older, older, but I'd say late 60s, early 70s. And she said that her, her daughter had passed away. And I remember we met her at like a fast food place or something to talk to her. And she just just crying, you know. Uh, we went to take a look at the house, and for some reason she wasn't there. But those there were some teenage boys that let us in. Oh yeah, this is Hermitage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so going through the house, we noticed that the carpet was pulled up in the master. Yeah. And um, we found out later that the the lady's daughter was murdered in that bedroom, and her husband had murdered her and committed suicide. So the boys that had let us in were, had lost their mother. Yeah. And you know, the lady that we were talking to had lost her daughter uh-huh. via murder. And just how tragic of a situation that was. Mm-hmm. And ended up, we couldn't do anything. We, we had contracted to buy it, but the, the title was messed up. Right. You know, and, and she needed the money to be able to provide for these children that she had now. They were now her, grand, her grandchildren. Yeah, her grandchildren that she was now having to take care of. And I don't, I don't think she was a, a poor lady, but I think the money would have helped. Oh, no doubt. You know, no doubt. I mean, and that is that it's Tulip Grove over in Hermitage. And that is a, a real nice middle-class neighborhood. So I doubt she had a bunch of money and set up in savings somewhere. Right. <clears throat> right. So we ran into that. We bought a house one time in Little Rock, Arkansas, where uh, the sister had inherited the property from her father. Her brother had murdered her father outside with a brick, you know, and that was a, a tougher situation, you know. Then um, we, have, we have Greenville, which the children live, the adult children live way out of town, didn't realize the shape that the parents had gotten in. Mm-hmm. And by the time uh, the last one passed away and they showed up, they realized that they'd become hoarders. And that there was a massive hole, probably, you know, three feet in diameter in the kitchen ceiling where a tree had fallen in. And it just rained in there continually. And they'd gotten a kiddie pool and set it up in the kitchen floor to catch the water. Yeah. By the time we got there, it was full of tadpoles and frogs were all in the house, dead animals. But, I mean, it, you could barely walk through that house. And that, that was an inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they they felt a lot of shame over their parents living that way. Yeah, and the neighbors did as well. The neighbors had not a clue because they never came outside. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's no contingency for these things. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can't, we have really strong script work, but I don't have great script work on how do you respond to someone that says, you know, my, my daughter was murdered. You know, like mm-hmm. all you can do is, is feel for those people and let them talk and try to, to do the best you can to help them. Like at that point, it's not even about the house. Like we, we don't really care about buying another house, but it's like, look, how can we support you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Tony has spent many like hours with people talking about you, you need to get involved with a counselor. You know, mm-hmm. do you have resources? You know, have you talked to anybody? And I, I just, it, it's not about the house at that point. You're going to buy, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to buy. There are the other four that, that we focus on buying from. You got plenty of opportunities. If you get this house and you're able to help these people, that's great. If helping these people is means you don't get this house, that's fine too. Yeah, that's right. On these. But you said something that's really the key. A lot of times we're on the phone with somebody like that 
you're gonna you're gonna need to let them talk a whole lot more yeah than any of the others doesn't matter whether it's got anything to do with the house or not you're just gonna have to listen to some rambling you're gonna have to listen to some stories and and be patient yeah now you kind of had a fun one in alexandria that was an interesting one this uh guy called to wanted to say actually well we can talk about that part of it another time so it, the way it came in was uh, the guy who'd been living in it for some time, his mother had left the house to him. So once we got into the title, uh, Judy at, over at Southern Land, a uh, little, little shout out to Judy, Southern Land title and escrow in Nolansville. We found out that she had been left the house from her husband, but he had had a previous marriage and he had six children. So the way the whole thing turned out, because of the, because the, um, the will was not done correctly. It turned out that his six children, that they co-owned 50% of the house each, her and her husband. Okay. His pre, his six children owned his 50%. So each of them had 8%. So, yeah. So, yeah. And so, and she owned of her 50%, she owned a child's portion as well. Now he, it was just this guy and two of his sisters. So, the two sisters both signed immediately quick claim deeds over to him. They didn't want the house. So anymore. you had eight people that you had to get deeds. That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. And I had to find somebody, two people to sign affidavits of airship that said that, that all these people are actually from the same family. Well, the, the problem is the man that the lady married was a lot older than him. So his kids were a lot older and none of the kids on her side, those three had even never met these six. Oh, wow. So they had no idea where these six lived. So Judy found them all. And uh, and so one was in Cincinnati. I, I had to drive to Cincinnati, Ohio, and get a quick claim deed from her. I, I, I had to drive to Harlan, Kentucky. If you've never been to that's coal mining country in eastern Kentucky. And there's a song out about Harlan that the sun comes up at 10 every morning and goes down at 3 every day. And it's because the main road into Harlem, the mountains go straight up. So you can't see the sun till about oh, wow. 10. And it goes over this mountain on this side by three. And uh, there was one notary in the entire county, and that was at the courthouse. And I had to go to this lady's house, pick her up, take her to the courthouse. She signed, take her back home, and then come back. And then the, the one that was the best one, he was in the Bidalia County, uh, Georgia, jail. And I called down there and they said, yep, we got him here. And I said, well, I'm going to come see him tomorrow. And they said, all right, come on. Well, I drove eight hours. It's right outside of Savannah, Georgia. I drove yeah. eight hours down there, get there. And they said, sir, we didn't have your number. We don't know how to tell you this. But somebody came in last night, confessed to the crime he's in jail for. And they released him first thing this morning. And I'm like, I got to have him. Yeah. Well, the sheriff saw me going out to my truck and, and hollered at me and said, come on in here. I don't know where he is, but his boy can't stand him. And he lives right here. And here's his phone number. And his son. His son. Okay. So I called his son. His son. I can't say some of the stuff he called him here. on, But he said, yeah, I know where he went. He's already sent me a message today on Facebook. And he gave me his phone number. So, No. He didn't have a phone number yet. He gave me his name. So I looked him up on Facebook, sent him a private message, and I had promised him a little money. So he responded. And on that one, I didn't go to Texas. I, I sent it to him, 
and uh, they only had one notary, and that was at the sheriff's department. And he, he said to me, I don't tell you how much I need some money right now. I don't go near sheriff's departments. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, we, we got it all straightened out, you know, and these things are not easy either. A lot of these inheritance things are not easy. You got to be patient. It's worth it. You know, sometimes people just go, forget it. I, if I've got to work this hard, well, being on the phone is not hard work. And when you're going to make seventy-five to $150,000 on a house and, and you had to put in 30 hours on it, right? that's less than a week to make that kind of money. So I think that this is kind of amazing. So how do you get in? So what does a conversation look like whenever you're reaching out to someone cold? That's an heir, uh, an 8% heir to a property. Like, how do you navigate that? So on those, because none of those even know where each other lives anymore. They're all in their 60s. They live all over the place. They haven't talked to their brothers and sisters in forever. So I couldn't cut a deal with all of them. Yeah. So I, I had to go through basically the script, a section of the script. Is that, you know. And I start out with, I'm not going to give them any money. I just need you to sign this, you know, so it'll release you from any responsibility with this house. Mm -hmm. And so three of them signed just with that. And three of them felt like they needed a little money. And so, and I had to negotiate them separately, each one when I was on the phone with them. I mean, it's, you just have to take your time and be persistent and move through it and, uh, and, and not let your emotions get into it. Now, was anybody unreasonable about what they wanted on the front end? I think a couple of them took $500 each. The old boy just got out of jail, took $1,800. Okay. Interesting. He, it's like he had a script on the other <laughs> phone. He's like, is that the most you can give? <laughs> uh, no, that's funny. You know, sometimes they try to flip it on us like that. So, um, Interesting. Interesting. So guys, anytime we're dealing with probate, probate, you have to identify like, who do you have on the phone? You know, do you have an heir? Do you have a spouse to an heir? Do you have someone that thinks they should be an heir? We've run into that. Well, I should have been an heir. I was promised this. It's like, well, what does the paperwork say? Yeah. You know, cause, uh, you know, a, a lot of people will claim that they were promised something that they were never promised. And so you have to identify who you have and who is the actual decision maker. Yeah, because sometimes who is, the person who's reached out to you and is trying to sell the house doesn't have the authority to do it. Correct. And so, uh, I mean, this is where a good title company comes into play who knows how to look things up, knows how to do good discovery. Yeah. And then come back and tell you, look, that person is a is is an heir, but not the decision maker. Yeah. The house was left to this person. Now, guys, one thing that I want to say here, it's really important that if you feel like you have an heir, even though they may not be the total decision maker, if the deal makes sense, paper it. Yeah. Because it's risk versus reward. That's right. The risk there is extremely low. I mean, you have a little bit of, of time and, you know, a little bit of effort into the deal. But the, the risk is like, well, you don't have every air, but you're, you're a step closer to having that That's by right. just having that first person under contract. That's right. And we've had many, many deals where we didn't have everyone all at the same time, right. but then they started shopping the deal to everyone else, talking them into it, Yeah, you know, and that's a tough thing. So like if you have one heir or you have one executor, it's a lot easier to deal with than if you're dealing with four or five, six people mm -hmm. at a time, you know? So, and what you did, I think was really, really specifically good that they 
it's not good that, that they didn't have a relationship with the other people, but you didn't have eight people trying to agree on one thing. You had eight people that had to agree for themselves, you know? And so with that, I know whenever we, we go to, to lunch here at the office every Friday, mm-hmm. we can't agree on, on where to have lunch, <laughs> much less how much we should receive from an inheritance on a piece, piece of real estate you know, uh-huh. that we may think is worth, you know, $5 million more than what, right. <laughs> what it is, you know? So just keep that in mind. Also dealing with probate in most states, you don't have to go through the probate process. So like specifically like Tennessee, where we are, where most of our transactions are certainly not, probably not even half now, but maybe 30, 40% of our transactions are in Tennessee. If we have an inheritance situation where probate has not been opened, then we can pass title and, and, and ensure title uh, through affidavits of airship. So right. affidavits of airship, it's an affidavit that says it's a non-family member that has known the family for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it's two or three you have to get. You have to have two. Two. So you get two affidavits. So say, I mean, I remember uh, on Lattice Street in chat, mm-hmm. we had the, the barber. That's right. That, That's right. That did it. Now, it can also be a husband and wife team that both know. Okay. Yeah, you can find a couple that both know, and each of them can sign a separate affidavit. Interesting. And so the affidavit. But we did have the barber sign. Yeah, letter. I remember because they're like, we don't have anybody, and I think it was your idea. Well, who cut your hair? <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. You know. And so then we go to the barber, and I don't know if you need look like you needed. A, you might have even gotten a haircut just to get this <laughs> done. I don't know. But uh, I know you're awful picky about your hair. So that's, I, I yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so you get the affidavit done. The affidavit basically says, I've known the family for an extended period of time. Yeah. These are the heirs mm-hmm. that Mr. Jones, who is deceased, had. Mm-hmm. And so with those, they will transfer title from the person on record to the heir and ensure that. You know, And that's the main thing is we want to have title insurance on that in case another heir pops up, which we've had that happen too. Uh-huh. And then we have an insured title at that point. But if if we can do it outside of probate, we don't want to take it to probate. So what if it's already in probate? Then it's going to be a state issue as to whether you can or not. Right. You know, at that point, generally the judge is going to be the one that has to to sign off, or the executor can if there's an executor. Right. You know, but it's a lot tougher because then we're dealing with situations where, like, if it's in probate, it's tough to buy sub two because the the, the probate court doesn't want to leave the debt outstanding. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's passed outside of probate, it's, it's a non-issue. Okay. Like that's kind of an example of, you know, anytime you get the court systems involved in something, it's probably not going to be as uh, streamlined of a process, let's say. So we just want to stay out from under that if we can. But everybody thinks that you have to go to probate to transfer real estate. It's not the case. It's not the case. So keep that in mind. If you're in a state that you don't know this process, it's a good, good process to understand and learn because You'll be able to do deals where we've literally had other investors look at deals and say, well, you're not through probate. We can't do this. And they come to us and say, we're like, yeah, no problem. Actually, don't open probate. Uh-huh. We don't want you to, you know, and then we we buy a house. So what do you think is the, the least understood part of inheritance, whether it's from an emotional perspective that the seller is dealing with or the process or maybe a mistake that people make that you see? I think a lot of times people assume that there has to, they need to rush to find something legal, someone legal. They need to involve attorneys. They need to right away, which they don't have to do right away. They can sell the house before it goes into probate. They can 
their, their thing. But it's just a part of it that we don't know. I think we, we usually rush to attorneys on a lot of things before we have to. Mm-hmm. I think we're pretty ignorant about, and I don't mean that ugly. I just mean I think we just don't know what we don't know about a lot of things when it comes to property passing one to another. I think probably people also don't. At that point, they've been handed an asset, a generational asset. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it's an asset. Uh, and I think probably they don't know the best way to maximize that asset, that asset either. Yeah. The asset, yeah. Yeah. I think sense. they don't know the best way to capitalize on I mean, when somebody leaves you money, they don't. I mean, when they leave you money, they leave it to you to do something with. When they leave you a house, they're leaving you uh, cash unless you're going to go live in it. So what is the best way to maximize that? Right. That makes sense. Final thought for me, I feel like the the biggest thing that I see that people make mistake with on this is before going to the contract is wanting to know everything about probate and making sure that they have all the heirs and that everything's good. Like all of that is, is, is post-contract, like figuring out title heirs, all that is, is important to know pre-closing, but it's Mm post-contract. So just keep that in mind. I think that's true for all five of them. We do. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. We find people who are just like, well, how should I do this now? Now we're having, and, and they're in their third conversation with somebody and we're having to say, you know, paper that. Yeah. Put it under contract while you're having these conversations. You can, un, you can get out, but, but once you, you leave this thing alone too long, there's going to be two or three yous looking at this thing. Yep. And then somebody else is going to get in there. Yeah. We just had a, a deal, uh, a couple, days ago that somebody didn't move on fast enough because they wanted to know everything. And I told this guy specifically on one of the the support clinics, like it's time to go to paper. And if I feel like they're not going to do it, then I'll tell them and you have to take a selfie whenever you get the deal and post it. It's like a little bit of extra accountability. Yeah. And last final, final thought for me, guys, if you don't have your estate documents in order, get that done. It's not that expensive to do. And one of the things that I'm so thankful for is whenever my grandmother got sick, I called the attorney and he sent everything over to me. And there was uh, a living will, which dictates like at what point end of life decisions are made. It wasn't even my decision to make, but it was my my responsibility to carry out those wishes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a lot of information there about understanding what final wishes were. You know, so those kinds of things, guys, like if you don't have those uh, get that stuff done. And I'm not a details person, you know what I mean? But that detail, like we definitely have done, you know, because I've, I've been the recipient of the value that someone else took the time to put in place a really good plan for me. Right. To, okay, guys, that's about it for us today. Appreciate y'all being with us Tuesday morning coffee. We'll see you guys next week. Appreciate y'all being with us.